I read a couple of stories this week that I thought you might be interested in. One of them took place in a remote Canadian village where this, there was this woman that she was walking along with her son who was a little ways away from her. And she saw as she was walking along, the people who were coming kind of in her direction had this hor- horrified look on their face and they were pointing. And she turned around and she realized that her seven-year-old son was being stalked by a polar bear. Bit of unusual behavior for a polar bear. But this is what's happening. This is not just any polar bear. We're talking eight feet tall, 700 pounds, stalking her seven-year-old son. So this woman, who is five feet nothing, not even 100 pounds, runs and jumps in front of the polar bear, starts to punch and kick the 800-pound or the 700-pound polar bear. Well, the polar bear doesn't like this very much. And he goes ahead and takes a swat at the woman, which knocks her off her feet, and the polar bear pounces on the woman. So she is trying to defend herself. She's continuing to punch and kick, and there's onlookers by this point. One of them yells, don't go anywhere. I'll go get a gun. (laughs) You can just imagine the woman. It's like, where did you think I was going? (laughs) Pinned under this bear. Well, anyway, the guy, he goes and he runs to his house, which is nearby. He comes back out with the gun and shoots the bear. Kills it. The woman was asked, where did you find that sort of strength to defend yourself against that 700-pound, 8-foot-tall bear? She said, I have no idea where I found that strength. I just knew that that bear was not getting to my son. The other story takes place in a Virginia town. There was a man there who, right after Thanksgiving, was, was fixing his truck. He was working on his truck in the garage. And he had it up on a jack, and the jack gave way, and it crashed down on top of him, pinning him underneath. And as the truck fell, it also spilled some gas that was there in the garage, and it caught fire off of a space heater. And so now there are flames burning in the garage that are getting ever closer to him, as well as catching the rest of the house on fire at the same time. And so his college daughter, who was home for Thanksgiving, somehow knew that something was amiss, and she ran out to the garage, saw what had happened, picked up the truck off of her dad by herself, got him safely away as the flames continued to spread, spreading now, raging the house, ran into the house, and saved the rest of her family. And I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, I am such a slacker (laughs) compared to what this woman has been doing, what this girl has been doing. In fact, to both of these women, I look at what they have done. I look at the superhuman strength that they are bringing to bear and the circumstances that they were finding themselves in. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And then I'm reading this in the midst of thinking about our whole Down to Earth series, about Jesus coming into our world, Down to Earth, the incarnation we call it just means him coming down into our world. And I'm thinking that even the superhuman strength, even the amazing actions of those hero ladies pale in comparison to what Jesus has done, to what God has done. The Christmas story helps us to recognize that whatever God intends to do, God can do. And so I want to think with you for just a minute here together about this idea that God can do all things. 
that God can do all things. Now, this is certainly an important reality as we come to think about Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, but it doesn't stop. I mean, we, we don't end our contemplation of the fact that God can do all things as soon as Jesus has grown up or as soon as the crucifixion happens or the resurrection. It continues on, and the fact of the matter is, just as we see, or every bit as much of what we see in Jesus able to do all things, or God doing all things, when Jesus comes into our world, that same power, that same action on the part of God continues on today. God is no less doing all things than he was when Jesus comes into our world. That's something important for us to understand today as we celebrate Christmas. An early glimpse of all that God can do came through the prophet Isaiah, who talked about Jesus' arrival. He was one of the first that spoke of Jesus' arrival, and it was more than 700 years before Jesus would ever come into our world. Here's what it says. He wrote, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. When it comes to the ability to do all things, it's hard to imagine anything harder than to perfectly predict the future. But a lot of people have tried to do it. In 2007, the CEO of Microsoft predicted there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. <laughs> yeah, right. About 100 years before that, it was predicted that elect electricity is a fad, which is actually true in my neighborhood when the wind blows. <laughs> And it was predicted in 1922 that by the year 2030, so we still have a few years for this yet, that medical advances would be so significant that people would live to about 150. By 2030, 150, think of that. That means that it might actually be possible in our lifetimes for us to see the pirates go to a World Series. <laughs> 150 years. Well, people are notoriously bad at making predictions that come true, but God is perfect at doing so. And there are dozens of prophecies about Jesus coming into our world, being born as a baby, coming into Bethlehem, all of those details. And every one of them has happened exactly as what was predicted. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph, and he tells him the news that Mary is going to have a baby and it's stunning to him, and he doesn't understand all of the details about that. But going on in verse 22 of Matthew 1, it says this, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 7 records the prediction or the prophecy. Matthew chapter 1 records the fulfillment. And over and over and over again, we see the same things, that God has perfectly predicted what will happen. God can do all things. We see it there, and we can also see it in some other realms as well. And I just want to take a moment in the time that we have left. I just want to take a look at some of these areas where we can, where we can see that God is able to provide, that God is able to do his work, that God is able to lead and guide and direct even in our lives in some very special ways. A few of these I want to highlight for you. The first of those is this, that God is able to comfort the afflicted. To comfort the afflicted. While the Christmas scene 
And season is certainly a beautiful time. While we love to see the kids doing their bit, they did a fantastic job. I love that. While we love to hear the song, you know, this is the most wonderful time of the year. And for you, maybe it has been your favorite holiday. It's still kind of complicated sometimes, isn't it? Because some of you are going to be marching your way through this season for the first time without a very significant loved one. And you're going to feel that, feel that loss very keenly. Or for you, it might be marching through the season with some significant relational trauma that has happened between you and your spouse or between you and maybe a child or a parent. And while others tell you, I can't wait for my family to come, I'm so much looking forward to that, some of you are like, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to that. In fact, I'm not sure that we'll even be together. Or for you, it might be some sort of financial burden that has happened that doesn't allow you to do gifts the way that you want to do gifts. Or some health crisis, or it might be something at, at work. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean that problems disappear. And you can sense and feel in your own heart and your spirit what those things are in your life today. The good news is that you don't need everything to be smooth and easy in order to find peace and in order to find comfort in this season. You don't. The Apostle Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He's not talking about a scrape-by kind of comfort there. Do you see what he said? He said, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. When we rest in God and the comfort that he provides, it is full. It is complete. That's the promise he's giving us here. It's not necessarily saying that the comfort we're going to experience is going to mean the removal of whatever the affliction is that has been troubling us. But it does mean that he will meet us in the midst of it. He will provide for us and we will grow through the circumstance. And the interesting thing is that it's the Apostle Paul who is writing this. And he seems to have a special ability or some street cred on this regard to be able to be the one who did it. Because the Apostle Paul is a guy who was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He has this thorn in the flesh that he prays for it to be taken away and it doesn't go away. He continues to have to deal with that and much, much more. Yet he's the guy who tells us that the comfort of God is full and complete. That should be meaningful for us. Because it's easy for us to sort of march down some road that makes us feel like we're the only one who's dealing with the trouble and the problem and the heartache that we're dealing with. But if you're to look around, if you're really to be able to dig into the lives of those who are around you, even right here in this room, whatever room you might happen to be checking this out in, you discover we all have hurts. We all have circumstances we're trying to navigate. And here's the other thing on top of that. Paul points out that the comfort that we have from God puts us in a special position to comfort other people. Do you know how there's this sort of extra kinship that you feel with somebody when you talk to them and they've had the same experience that you've gone through? There's something unique. There's some bond that is happening there in a special way, and you're able to encourage one another in a unique way and feel the encouragement. That's what the principle is right here. Don't see your affliction as a dead end that you just have to endure. Don't ensnare yourself in some lasting pity party. 
Recognize that as you reach out, as that you take the affliction that you've gone through and allow God to work through you and use you in the life of somebody else, that that just might be the very thing that accelerates your own comfort. As you find a way to employ it in ministering to others and following through and using it for good, because what do we often quote, that God can use all things for good? Well, sometimes we need to take a step in order for that to actually start to come about. God is able to comfort the afflicted. Also, God is able to make all grace abound to you. When you think of God's grace to you, it might be natural for your mind to go to the grace that he bestows on us in the person of Jesus when he comes, dies on the cross to provide a savior for our sin. Many of you have placed your faith and your trust in him, and when we think grace, that's immediately where our minds go, and rightfully so. There is no greater grace than that. But at the same time, that's not all that this idea of grace is really talking about. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, And God is able, whoa, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The context of those words is in a passage that's talking about generosity. And we know sometimes it can be very difficult for us to let go of the things that we have, especially if it's for purposes that aren't for ourselves, because we work so hard for those resources and it's hard to let go of them. But what he's talking about here is that there's a certain grace that God gives so that we might learn the spirit of generosity toward it, whether it be finances or whether it be something else. He says there's a special grace that is given so that you can respond in circumstances in a way that might be different from how you naturally internal to yourself would act or would respond. That's a great word when it comes to our finances, but at the same time, we shouldn't limit the application of that grace to that one realm. Paul's not saying that God's grace trickles out to you. He is saying that God's grace abounds to you abounds to you. Just think of what that means. He's saying that the heart of grace should be modeled off of the grace that God has given to us as we think about our own demonstration of that grace as we take it forward. We've received a grace to be able to respond in circumstances in ways that might seem outside of your ability to do so. And there are any of a number of areas. If you just think through your life, it means that abounding grace should impact the way that we engage at work, even if the gracious treatment that you might give towards somebody, other, somebody else is, is the sort of thing that it's like they don't deserve that. But what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward us. Might it be that we're called, if we're ones who have been given this grace that abounds to us, to act in circumstances and places and in ways that might be undeserved? might be that you're called in this season to express a grace toward your children in the form of patience toward them or, or peace toward your marriage or your spouse. What is it that God would be calling you to? How is it that he might be moving you to respond through the grace that he has poured out to you, abounded to you? God is able to cause all of that grace so that that might be the expression that we have of ourselves as we engage with other people in this season. Next, God's able to defeat evil. 
Evil is a reality that we see all around us in the world. It's the reason that we have wars. It's the reason we have violence. It's the reason that we have sin of all sorts. It entered our world through the failure of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3. It talks about the serpent that was so crafty that came and deceived them. The serpent is identified as being Satan here, represents Satan, who's the author of evil. And in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis, we're given some insight into his past and future. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the original context, the woman being talked about here is Eve, of course. She's the only woman. But in the big picture, ultimately, this is a prediction of Jesus coming to earth. This is a prediction of what Jesus is going to do. Talking about Mary is the woman through her offspring. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to do his work. His work is to defeat the power and the person of Satan. It says that Satan will strike Jesus' heel, which is a reference to the crucifixion. That there will be that which Jesus endures and, it's, and Satan's strutting around like, yeah, man, I had my way with Jesus and I won the victory there, but really what's happening is that God is using that circumstance to actually bring the demise and the defeat of Satan because it's Jesus goes to the cross and dies that sin can be overcome and sin is Satan's primary weapon. It also says that Jesus will crush his head, just speaking to his ultimate demise, which will ultimately happen one day, but also happen right there on the cross as it takes his ability to defeat off the table. This is good news for us. That means that the power to overcome the trials and temptations of your life is fully available to you. That whole, the devil made me do it thing, that's just blatantly false. He might tempt you towards something, but the devil can't make you do a thing. It's only as we willingly choose to go down the path of that temptation, willingly choose to set aside the power that is available to you because of the cross of Jesus and his victory there over Satan, over evil. It's only as you choose to lean in the direction away from Jesus that Satan has any sort of power in your life. But sometimes we give it to him willingly. But Jesus, through God, God is able to defeat evil. And also, finally, God is able to save. God is able to save. In Hebrews chapter 7, we find these very encouraging words talking about Jesus. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. When it, saves, when it says save completely there, that word literally means forever. It means eternally. It also gives us an interesting look at Jesus' posture and our salvation. Sometimes you hear somebody say, yeah, I was searching for God. I was looking for God, but I couldn't find him. He was elusive. He was hiding from me. He was too distant. He was too far off. According to this verse, that will never happen. That's not true. He's always interceding on behalf of anyone who's interested in finding him. The fact of the matter is, Jesus right now is pursuing you. The question is, are you willing to have him find you? Are you willing to go the direction that he would be leading you to go, desiring you to go? 
because he's at work in your life right now. We just need to, need to submit to that work. Submit to his will in pulling us in that direction because what it says here tells us how to find that salvation. He says it's for those who come to God through him. To go to God through Jesus is to understand the offense of our sin. To understand that we've chosen to separate ourselves from God and Jesus' pursuit of us because we have a desire to pursue other things. Jesus came down to this earth so that we might know who God is, so that we might find hope and life and peace and comfort. You say, yeah, God can do that somewhere else, but not me. No, friends. What we're saying is that Jesus came down to earth and that God can do all things doesn't just mean he can do all things or he could do all things and so we have Christmas. He can do all things and continues to work in our lives. Whatever it is that is defeating you today, whatever it is where you're saying, I can't, it can't, I'm stuck, you're wrong. God meets us here to draw us near. God is able to save. Wherever you are, lean into these truths. There's so many others we could talk about as well. But live your life acknowledging, understanding what God can do. That God is able to comfort the afflicted. As you wrestle through this season, perhaps, because of some loss, because of some pain, remember, God is able to meet you, to comfort you where you are. God is able to make all grace abound to you so you can live in such a way that you don't even believe you're able to in the moment. That God is able to defeat evil and that God is able to save. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that we are not simply trying to navigate our way through this life on our own, doing our own thing, kind of stuck, kind of having to generate our movement forward generate some sort of hope, but rather that it is all here laid out before us because we recognize that you can do all things. We recognize that Jesus came so that we might find hope. We recognize that it is through his death and his resurrection that we have power to overcome. Father, I pray that you would help us to not just live lives that are small, that are inconsistent, that feel stuck, that feel stagnant, but that we can rise up and can, we can move forward in the confidence and understanding that through you, we can see all things accomplished according to your purposes in our lives. Lord, give us the courage to open our eyes, to move in faith toward you, to experience what you have in store for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.